Greyhound to trap one. Greyhound to trap one. How do you read me? Over. Thank you for downloading the Trap One podcast. I'm Mark McManus. Regular listeners might remember that a few weeks ago we put together a tribute to the great Doctor Who writer Terence Dix following his sad death in August. It features contributions from lots of Trap One regulars and a great interview with the man himself, courtesy of the Hoovers. It's still available if you haven't heard it, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. One of the contributors was Chris McKeon, writer of the sixth Doctor novel Times Champion and the third Doctor audio series The Final Game, of which the three episodes are now available online and it's well worth checking out. With his usual enthusiasm and generosity, Chris recorded a piece that was much longer than I could use in the Terence Dix episode, but it's a very comprehensive, knowledgeable and personal look at Terence's Doctor Who work, in particular covering his career after being the script editor and then writing so many of the Target novels, that I wanted to put this out as a podcast on its own. So here it is, Chris McKeon remembers Terence Dix. Six himself, I never met him, um, um, and so I have no memories of, of him as a person beyond um, what you see in DVD documentaries or um, convention appearances that are on tele, you know on on uh, recorded and placed online. I knew people. I have known some people that know him, like Sarah, Simon Garrier from. Uh, uh, Big Finish Productions and such, who said he was a lovely and wonderful man, and 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 that's corroborated by the people that knew him at Big Finish, like Nick Briggs and such. Apparently, Paul Cornell and he were very good friends. The author Paul Cornell, um, and of course, there is something special about watching the documentaries of the Unit years, you know, the John Pertwee era, essentially, and knowing that for different reasons. Some, perhaps, a little more clashing, and some simply just of events. Um, the unit era is known for many things, uh, but one thing that is linked to that knowledge, that sense of the community of the unit era, is not simply what you saw on television with, you know, the Doctor and his companions, mostly Joe Grant in terms of time, and then of course the supporting characters, Sergeant Benton, Captain Yates, the Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart. But also behind the scenes of the actors and their love for one another and their enjoyment, like a family. But also that family extended to um, Barry Letts and Terrence Dix, and I'm sure others. But the producer at the time and Barry Letts, and the script editor at the time, Terrence Dix. And and what really forged, and I think what probably helped to make the unit family, the unit era seem like the unit family, both on screen and off screen. was the fact that Terrence Dix and Barry Letts, who had not known each other, they made this clear in, in various interviews and, and one TVD documentary that I have seen, they had not met before. They didn't know each other. Um, but they became fast friends because they worked very well together. And that's an association that lasted, that was in a way replicated. They, After leaving Doctor Who, some years later, they collaborated again in the same positions, Barry Letts as a producer and Terrence Six as a script editor, for another, um, for the BBC Classics line um, uh, productions, and this would have been perhaps in the late 70s, certainly into the mid-80s. So even after Doctor Who, um, they collaborated together in the same way. Um, for And as an example, they 
collaborated and, and uh, helped to produce and, and edit and craft the, um, the 1983 version of uh, television version of Jane Eyre with um, uh, Timothy Dalton, future James Bond, then near future James Bond, as uh, Mr. Rochester. And um, years after that was released, my, we've, my family watched it and we really enjoy it. It's probably our favorite version of Jane Eyre. Um, and we've seen a couple others. One version with Ciaran Hines as, as, um, as Rochester and such. But um, Terrence, that has the, the almost a unit era feel in the sense of, of how it's produced and the sensibility of it, even though it's some years later, but it still is. If you're, it wants you, it feels familiar. If you watch Doctor Who, and once you realize, oh, there's Barry Letts and Terrence Sticks, you realize why, to a certain extent, whether it's real or not. You realize why? Because there's something familiar, and there was something familiar about Terrence Sticks, um, being apparently a very kind man and a, and a, and a, and a, a generous man and and a, simply a nice man. And I could say one thing where I feel a connection with Terrence Sticks is his um, is his view of the Doctor as a character, and he states this in the Final Curtain DVD um, a documentary from the Plan the Spiders DVD, which I have not seen in its entirety, but I have seen a few little clips, and one clip where I wholeheartedly agree about Terrence Sticks's ethical stance or ethical view of the Doctor is that when he explains that. Um, the idea that it's the Doctor's greed that is his, uh, the downfall, the cause of his, to a certain extent, his um, the moral dilemma of, or the repercussions and consequences of Planet of Spiders coming off of the Green Death in finding the Metabolus Three Crystal. Um, Terrence Six say that he ultimately didn't agree with that uh, assessment of the Doctor, that the Doctor had a greedy streak that led him to do something which had major repercussions, which leads to his regeneration. Terence Dix simply said, you know, he said that was a bit of um, Barry Letts' Buddhism. Barry Letts was a, a, a practicing Buddhist. Uh, the idea of, of greed and, and change, and, and um, but certainly greed being someone's downfall, and, and effect, you know, going away from maybe certain very detached beliefs, a belief system. Um, and Terence Dix said... Uh, I felt that that was out of character of the Doctor, and I've mentioned this before, I believe, even in Mark's podcast. Yes, I think so. The first time I spoke with him about the final game, Terrence Dix said, you know, that, that was an idea that I felt was a little too much of a concept being impressed upon the character. He said that was Barry's Buddhism appearing a little uh, a little more. And I just, I uh, felt the Doctor didn't have flaws. And certainly not the flaw of greed, because John, the third Doctor was not a greedy person, and John Pertwee was not a greedy person. And therefore, and I'm saying this, I'm stepping back and saying this, therefore, I interpret that to mean, say what you will about the Doctor if he has flaws or not. I might not think, as Terrence Dix did, that the Doctor does not have flaws. And therefore, I will say, for me, I would take a similar stance in the waters of Mars with the Tenth Doctor and doing the, um, the Time Lord Victorious. Um, and I would take the stance that and here I and I'm saying this not to go on a tangent, but to think how would Terence Sticks think about a, a script like that, or what is his thought process? And I suppose I, I mention all this because Terence Sticks and his viewpoints on the Doctor probably influenced me the most in terms of how I see the Doctor um, and view the Doctor as a character, someone, a, a person without flaws. And therefore, if I were to see it through my eyes, and therefore also perhaps the eyes of Terence Dix, of something like the Waters of Mars. And how the tenth doctor 
go veers into this this um, wildly anarchic and certainly um, one could argue the beginning of a tyrannical view of how uh, of the laws of time that they belong to him. They will obey me, he says. And the people say, oh, this is what happens when you don't travel with a companion. He becomes like the master. And I felt, just like maybe how Terrence Dix feels, that, that perhaps the showrunner, Barry Letts, at the time of The Plan of the Spiders, had to come up with an idea to end the Doctor. And again, this is in the absence, applicable now, in the absence of the final game, which was meant to be, most people know this was meant to be the story that finished the character arc and appearances of Roger Delgado's master. What's less known, not 100% certain, but it seems to be the case from various sources um, and... Um, and interviews from John Pertwee himself and, and, and others, that, that the, there was a good chance that the uh, third Doctor would have also left in the final game as well. In the absence of the final game, you have to come up with a new story to finish the third Doctor, and you get um, Plan the Spiders, and to come up with some new ideas in the absence of the Master. I feel, again, I don't know this, but in the absence of the Master and the conflict there, and maybe the idea of the Doctor and the Master being the same person, you have to do something that reflects a darkness upon the Doctor, so you cre create the idea of, well, let's take that story from the Green Death. And incidentally, I imagine that elements of the Green Death would have shown up, because they show up in the in Plan of the Spiders, either they that was a new idea on the spot, or they perhaps would have shown up anyway in the final game. In any case, let's think, oh, the Doctor got this crystal, consequences, Another time, I'm going to say, well, the, these are the consequences of your actions, these are the consequences of your greed. I think one's man, as I've said before, one man's greed is another man's curiosity. And so Terrence Dix sees that. And, and so that viewpoint is something that I share with Terrence Dix, and that's how I see something like the waters of Mars. When the Doctor becomes time of victorious, I felt that maybe that was RTD's viewpoint, which he had said before, you know, stated before in things like um, um, The Runaway Bride, you know, when Donna says, you can stop now, Doctor, and then that's reiterated and turn left a little bit. What happens... What would have happened had Donna not been there? I see the waters of Mars through the critical eyes of some of, of a Terence Dix lens. Terence Dix has affected uh, my viewpoint. I maybe already had that viewpoint, but because I hear maybe that authority figure, Uncle Terence, a, a kindly authority figure, someone who's not saying it's this way or nothing, but someone who says, I didn't think of it as that way. But as he says in the documentary for The Final Curtain, I just didn't feel so strongly enough to object. <laughs> Um, and and uh, that ties with another scene where, another moment in, in a similar, maybe the same, but another documentary or something where Terrence Dix is seeing as an image of himself, a photo of himself, from filming, I think, maybe the Time Warrior, where he sees himself, and he's in the background and in the foreground on opposite sides of the image are Barry Letts and uh, John Pertwee. They're talking about something. And then Terrence Dix has this look on his face where he's half smiling, but he also looks, as Terrence Dix himself says, maybe a little annoyed. And he says, it, uh, he makes, with his, that wonderful, his wonderful jovial voice of his, warm, such a warm voice, he says, ah, if you look at, me, look at me in that image, that photo, I look as if I'm probably very annoyed with something that's being said, but I'm too polite to, obje to object or to make my opinion known. Um... And it's not that he had only happy opinions or such. He was—he could be very, you know, critical. But I'm sure in a very kind way, he was very critical of the, of the script for the, um, the 1996 telefilm with Paul McGann, and hence maybe why he goes to some lengths maybe to retcon the story in the in his novel The Eight Doctors, which was the inaugural story for the um, late 90s into the mid 2000s BBC book line, the um, Doctor Who 
the eighth doctor, there are eighth doctor ventures we call the EDAs, and the eight doctors uh, is 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 very interesting story. Um, Darren Six is not without his criticisms um, uh, from from fans that he that he's maybe recycled many of his own ideas or which were, and I have a list here of, of many of the ideas that he wrote in general. These are the major contributions, his ma- major contributions to Doctor Who. And remember, he was writing for anyone who um, wants to know. He wrote and contributed scripts between the years 1969 to 1983. So he 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 was um, tasked with writing because of other stories. Felt that he was a, a in I believe an assistant. Oh, what was his? I have to look up very quickly. His association began yes in Doctor Who. I'm reading from his. Uh, there's a, a, a TARDIS wiki. I'm looking at Turnstick's uh, page. And he was born Terence William Dix, 14th of April, 1935, in East Ham, Essex, and he died on the 29th of August, 2019, affectionately known as Uncle Terence. He began his association Doctor Who in 1968, when he was uh, 33. Uh, he joined the production team during the story The Invasion. And... Um, he uh, was tasked to write the war games because there were a couple other stories that fell through um, at the end of the season six of the, of the classic series. And he was tasked by, um, I believe, Derek Sherwin, who would have been the producer, was the producer at the time, to write the, fi- uh, the war games. Not the final game, but the war games. And it's meant to be a ten, it is a ten part story. And he was, that was his first t- Doctor Who script. He has stated in interviews that uh, he simply realized he couldn't write it on his own, so he called up his friend uh, Malcolm Hulk, which he called Mac Hulk. And Malcolm Hulk, of course, was a Doctor Who. Uh, he wrote many scripts. He was a script writer, and he wrote um, also many novelizations for the Target line, which Terrence Sticks is very much known for. So Terrence Sticks had a great pedigree, you could say, in that he was friends with one of the earlier authors of Doctor Who who contributed many things before and after uh, the War Games to Doctor Who. Primarily, what you probably know mostly for, for helping to create the Time Lords and such, uh, although not named Time Lords, um, but also uh, the Sea Devils and the Silurians, and um, oh, the Exarius and the Doomsday Weapon and such. But um, Terrence Dix starts with, um, in terms of scripts, with the War Games, and he, um, and for me, it's very special because. Uh, not only is it a wonderful story, probably my a few reasons. It's probably the, it is very likely um, the very first Doctor Who story I ever saw, the War Games. So I start in a way with Terrence Sticks, with Doctor Who. But also, not only is it a wonderful story that finishes, uh, probably you could argue, one can argue definitely the, the most epic uh, Doctor um, exit uh, regeneration story, or at least exit story for Doctor, because the War Games you could argue is not explicitly a regeneration story because the laying aside the idea of Season 6B, which I fully accept as part of Doctor Who canon, we never quite see the second Doctor regenerate. But even so, it is a regeneration story because he is meant to be changing at the end of the story. In any case, for me personally, The War Games is a landmark because that, for me, is a story that introduces the Master. Despite the final game and Roger Delgado's contribution, which I fully accept is, he is the original Master, he's the first actor to play the Master. Um, I certainly feel that the war chief is the master, um, because of how he, be, because he's shared by Terrence Dix. Terrence Dix, um, he and Malcolm Hulk helped to co-create the uh, the war chief. It should be noted that Malcolm Hulk. Every, uh, it's funny how often people say, "Well, because Terrence Dix," and he has said this in interviews, he he personally felt, or at least he says so, that 
in creating the master, he was not. Um, it was not in his intention that the master was the war chief. And in creating the master with Barry Lance, Malcolm Hulk, on the other hand, who is just as people have said, uh, is just as much responsible for the creation of the war chief. Um, practically indicates that they are the same time loads in the novelization of the uh, of Calling in Space, which is um, um, Doctor Who and the Doomsday Weapon, which he novelized. Of course, because he wrote the script for Calling in Space. And that story has a you know, prelude or, you know, you know in, introduction scene where two time was just speaking, essentially maybe a keeper of the Matrix type of character. And he's recalling the event. It's inter- very interesting because, well, tell me about the Doctor and the Master. And this person, among other things, saying, well, only and this, of course, would be inaccurate by today's standards, but by those standards, he said only two time loads have ever left. Gallifrey, the Doctor, and the Master. And when talking about the Doctor's and the, and the Master's early years, or at least, you know, how, tell me about the Doctor and the Master, he starts talking about the war games and the events of the war games. So, as people said, it would seem that um, Mal- Malcolm Hulk thought that they were the same character. So that's a little irony. Maybe I disagree with Terrence Six. I'm not saying, oh, you agree every, with everything about one person, but Terrence Six certainly maybe didn't think they were the same, but I think that they are the same. And so I credit, in a weird roundabout way, Terrence Six to that, to introduce me fully to the to Doctor Who by giving me a story with the Master, even though he's not called the Master. But Terrence Six, shortly after the War Games, was brought into Doctor Who, well, he was already with Doctor Who, but he, he was brought into a much more prominent position as the script editor of the of the John Pertwee years, and he contributes, and or certainly he does not contribute a, doc, uh, a John Pertwee script. Um, he does not contribute a John Pertwee script per se, and that there's not a John Pertwee script probably that has his name as the as the author, likely because of uh, restrictions and such. Probably for the same reason that Barry Letts, um, who had substantial um, uh, input into the um, most of the television uh, scripts that were the season closers, with the exception of Inferno. But these are the television credits for Terrence Sticks. He certainly co-wrote the War Games in the Patrick Troughton era. His fingerprints are all over, so I think you could say to a certain extent he wrote, uh, or at least he certainly script-edited the John Pertwee era from beginning to end. Um, and then he writes uh, Robot. He's not credited as the author of the Brian Morbius. That's Robin Bland because um, he got a, a rewrite treatment from Robert Holmes, so the, he so Taron Six wrote the story and the original scripts for the fi- the Brain of Morbius. Robert Holmes substantially rewrote it, and so it was probably enough that Taron Six. I don't know if he asked or if it was just simply credited, but it's credited to the pseudonym Robin Bland. But he is the author, original author of the the Brain of Morbius, and therefore we get certain characters from Taron Six as Morbius, Solon, M- Mendehi Solon, uh, Kondo, the Sisterhood of Karn, and, and such, which resonates with Doctor Who even to this day, or at least as far recently as Series 9. Uh, the Horror of Fang Rock, um, State of Decay, which was actually a product of uh, the early Tom Baker years, um, for Season 13, I believe. But it was um, maybe 14, but it was it was held over because of the BBC's uh, Frank Jordan, uh, Jordan uh, led uh, production of, the, of Dracula in 1977. So it was held until 1980. Um, to season 18. Uh, so he had a contrib- contributions into the late Tom Baker era, and then, of course, mid mid um, Pew Davison with The Five Doctors. And that was his last script. So he goes from The War Games to The Five Doctors. Funny enough, Terrence Six's um, television script tenure uh, as a screen 
either as, a, as an author, as a script screen, uh, a script editor, a writer, or script editor, covers the time in Doctor Who, the era that features Gallifrey, actually stories set on Gallifrey, so scenes filmed that are in studio that are meant to be Gallifrey, the War Games, to the Five Doctors. Yes, the Time Lord appeared in um, afterwards in in the Trial of the Time Lord, but no scenes appear uh, on Gallifrey. So, Terrence Six's time spans the Gallifrey era, the, the actual Gallifrey story-setting era of Doctor Who. Um, um, Trout, late Trout to mid-Davison. Um, he also contributed direct-to-video stories, Shakedown, The Return of the Sontarans, which is a 1994-made uh, adventure, which featured the Sontarans in red armor, um, which has not been seen. When you think of Sontarans, you think of the classic series Black Armor and the new series Blue Armor. Well, there's this interim red armor from the um, the wilderness years, and it's a story that featured many um, kind of an interesting synthesis of um, Doctor Who and Blake Seven. That you had several actors from Doctor Who, like Sophie Aldred and um, Michael Wisher, Caroline Ford, and then also several actors from um, Blake Seven, who appeared, or at least at least a couple, uh, who appeared in that story, such as I believe. Um, uh, Jan Chapel. Um, yes, Jan Chapel. She was she was in that adventure. Who she and she of course played. Um, oh, she played she played uh, Callie in the first three years of Blake Seven. So an interesting little synthesis of uh, of actors, and of course, many people feel that <laughs> that uh, rightfully so, perhaps uh, that uh, Blake Seven is a spin off, an unofficial or at least an undeclared spin off of Doctor Who. There were intentions to make that specific a scene, I believe, where uh, there would have been a corridor scene, which would have just linked the two stories in that walking one way is Blake and walking the other way is the fourth Doctor, because this was, Blake 7 was produced during the um, later, middle to later um, Tom Baker years. It actually may have also uh, crossed over into early Peter Davison. I'm not so sure. Um, But in any case, Terrence Sticks wrote Shakedown, which was expanded into the novelization um, sh- um, Shakedown with the Seventh Doctor, and he wrote for the Mind Game trilogy, Mind Game and the Mind Game trilogy Battlefield, which uh, features um, Mind Game features a uh, character that this Mind Game was released in 1998, I believe, and some and it features a character that uh, many people think is probably Ace. She's simply known as a human, but it's very likely that she's Ace. Um, because the character refers to someone she knew that was the professor. At the very end, she says wicked. He also wrote Junior Doctor Who, which perhaps a, perhaps a very small child versions of certain stories. Um, the, his versions of Robot and Brain of Morbius. He also wrote um, in the... we going in more chronological order. He wrote for the Virgin New Adventures. So for the Seventh Doctor, he wrote Time or Exodus which revisited, um, and this, I mentioned the criticism some people have, is that he just seems to revisit his own scripts. Well, he contributed such great things, why not? And what were the things that he contributed to Doctor Who? Um, characters and such. Um, the Warlords, known as the Aliens in the War Games. The Side Rat, the Master, or the War Chief's version of the TARDIS. Time Lords, they were named Time Lords. Gallifrey, but not mentioned by name. Uh, the Fourth Doctor, he first wrote for the Fourth Doctor, um, and you could definitely say he helped to craft the Third Doctor in its, in its beginnings. Harry Sullivan, 
K1, which is the giant robot from the um, the giant robot from uh, a robot, <laughs> Morbius, the sister of Karn, the Rutans, the Santarans' greatest enemies from um, the Horrifying Rock, the Great Vampires from State of Decay, the Game of Rassilon and the Death Zone from the Five Doctors, the Rastan Warrior Robot, which apparently was an extreme last-minute addition. It was not in the original script. Uh, this comes from documentaries and interviews, commentary, I think, from the Five Doctors, which is that... Um, when filming, this was during the filming stage, they they realized they needed a little more action, that it was too easy for the third Doctor and Sarah Jane to, in their trip to make it to the uh, the Great Tower. They Yes, they counter the Master, and they counter you know, fireballs and such, and um, the Cybermen, but they needed something else, and what they get is the Raston Warrior Robot. So it's one of the simplest and yet most incredibly effective killing machines ever shown in Doctor Who. just destroys 80s-era Cybermen absolutely destroys them, classes them beyond what you beyond any sense of comparison, which makes me wonder if it might be time to have a um, it might be time to have an interesting uh, rematch between the Cybermen and the Rastan Warrior Robot, which looks in design almost exactly like the androids, slightly brighter color, um, from Earthshock. I, when I first saw Earthshock and then I saw the Five Doctors, I, I wondered to myself, are they the same thing? No, but who knows, I mean, they're it's a simple design. Um, he also d gave us the time scoop in the eye of Orion. And so, many of those things return in his uh, Virgin novels, and Virgin novel, and then later BBC novel contributions. He wrote Time of Exodus, which features, of course, the aliens are then called warlords, and, and Krieg Slicer, which is the war chief. Um, and, it, and how does that if anyone wants to know how does that uh, square with my thinking that the master is the war chief, well, n no point in Time of Exodus does is do they mention the master, so they never says that he's different from the master. It could, and at the time the ethos was all oh, the doctor and the, the master can only time can only mean in order, which I where I agree. But in these days, that argument really doesn't stand up because Big Finish has the doctor and the master. Uh, has more recently had the doctor and the master meeting relatively out of order, possibly the Alex McQueen master. Jumping between the seventh and eighth doctors, although I like to think that it's in order, um, because actually their meetings are in order; they have been in order. Um, it's more based on the idea that McQueen postdates Roberts, but for all we know, he may have been the version of the Master that was re that was um, uh, the version that met his end in the um, telefilm, and he simply has been restored to that form. We know that time can be restored to certain forms. Um, but nowadays, of course, they meet, they meet out of order a lot. You have the uh, Dreyfus Master meeting up with the Seventh Doctor and the upcoming story of the Psychic Circus, a prequel to um, The Greatest Show in the Galaxy. Uh, you have uh, the, the Two Masters trilogy, which has Beaver's Master meeting the Fifth Doctor. Well, Beaver's Master with the McQueen Mind meeting the Fifth Doctor, the McQueen Master with Beaver's Mind meeting the Sixth Doctor. And then, of course, those two versions of the Master, both with switched minds and not, meaning the Seventh Doctor. So it's, uh, it's a little interesting to say where that fits. But um, I like to think it's simply an out-of-order meaning. Blood Harvest, which features the return of Romana and Yeast Space and the Great Vampires. Shakedown, which features the return of the Santarans. And then he also wrote Terran Sticks for the Eighth Doctor Adventures. He wrote the Eighth Doctors, I mentioned that, which inaugurated the Eighth Doctor Adventure lines. And this came out, I believe, in 1997. It was a bit of a reaction to the uh, Grace script. Um, and so Terran Sticks went away out of his way a bit, but certainly went away to um, explain certain things about the script that he felt didn't make too much sense. Um, as far as I know, interestingly enough, the script, 
Terrence Dix, maybe he couldn't think of a way to explain this, does not explain why the Eye of Harmony in copy inside the Doctor Stardust only opens for human eyes. Yeah. Even there, I, I, I won't lie. That's something I think definitely needs a, a retcon. I, the, the audio script, the Apocalypse Element, seems to go little ways because of Evelyn briefly ba- using her eye retina to base, to open all the technology on Gallifrey. Um, that's a possible retconning, but fine. Um, he wrote the Terran Six wrote Endgame, which was um, in the Eighth Doctor um, Exile to Earth arc post uh, Ancestor Cell, which destroyed Gallifrey before RTD ever destroyed Gallifrey. Um, the Eighth Doctor's era version of the Time War, essentially. The, uh, and um, Endgame um, is set in 1951. It's kind of a spy espionage story and such. And there is a little bit of a connection to his um, Terran Six's own. Um, earlier story, Time of Exodus, because there's a scene in Time of Exodus, a prologue, where the Seventh Doctor and Ace um, visit England in 1951. They find that there's an alternative history. Well, we see the Eighth Doctor on Earth in 1951. So, I believe, you know, I've actually not found it, but some people said that you have a brief moment where the Seventh Doctor and Ace make a cameo appearance. So, I suppose they do. Probably, there's a it's a description of a small man and a, and a, and a girl. I don't know. But, um, Endgame, what is that one about? The Earth Arc, as they call it, Doctor's Companionless. Oh, yes, the players. Something else that Terrence Dix contributed, the players, um, were, which are these kind of dimensional creatures thought to be, in one of Terrence Dix's other stories, um, the Sumerian gods. So, so Terrence Dix got to contribute in the, not, in the book eras, in the Eighth Doctors and Past Doctor stories. Um, kind of a, an interesting little, very loose arc a very loose arc um, of stories, at least three, and they're mentioned in a fourth book. Uh, they're a group of immortals. Now, it's... So, it's a little more... Um, um, <laughs> it's worth talking about this, that um, Terrence Six created this kind of um, sub-pantheon of creatures within... Um, within maybe... Kind of the more nebulous range of Doctor Who um, canon, which are you know, okay, you have evils from the dawn of time and things like that. I personally think, as have some other authors, you know, posited that a lot of the creatures that we saw that were evils from the dawn of time, like the Animus, the Great Intelligence, maybe the early, well, the, maybe the, the progenitors of the nesting consciousness and such, are in fact time lords, ancient time lords that have, in a way, mutated beyond their normal, or maybe their given form, humanoid form. Um. This would include things like Fenric and such, that they're actually ancient, ancient Time Lords, and maybe to a certain extent I've forgotten what they are, but they are what the Time Lords originally were. Well, the Immortals, or the Players, um, they're human-like appearance, they can be killed, they have a lot of powers, um, and, or, and they include things like Poseidon, you know, the, the Greek gods. The Greek gods essentially are... Um, um, part of the immortals, uh, these, these godlike beings, and then some of them are the, um, the players, and it's thought that the players would be the gods of the Sumerian er- er- um, region. Um, as far as I know, the players themselves are only in three no- novels that Terrence Six wrote. Um, players, Deadly Reunion, he wrote that with Perry Letts, and Endgame. Um, excuse me, yeah, and, and, excuse me, yeah, players, world game, and endgame. The players themselves don't appear necessarily in Deadly Reunion, but they're perhaps their larger race, the Immortals. Which, to be very honest, 
seem a lot like the creatures that show up in um, Salvation and the Crooked Earth by Steve Lyons. Um, creatures that take the form of maybe known gods or deities of other people's races, uh, of other races. But in any case, Terrence Sticks created the Players, a group of the immortals that tamper with history to amuse themselves. They had knowledge of the Time Lords and knew them to be devious. Originally the Mesopotamian gods, but by the time they returned to Earth, they had traveled through time so much and lived so long that they could no longer remember what they were or where they were from. Sub-Time Lords, maybe. Who knows, from my perspective. Um, and so, Terrence Six created... And it's a very loose arc. And it's so loose that it... Um, is often overlooked, but I thought I should mention this, that Terrence has created kind of a minor a minor arc in the book's range, which is having a lot to do with Winston Churchill, with the second and the sixth doctors. The player's novel is notable. The ter- one contribution that Terrence Sticks had is, everyone talks about season 6B, might as well talk about that. In that, um, when Patrick Troughton's doctor returned in the five doctors, um, they wanted to use Jamie and such. Um, but the... Um, they wanted to use Jamie in a more prominent role. But Emmerdale, um, he couldn't get time off from Emmerdale. Um, but in, in the end, he was able to get a little bit of time off, a couple days. And it just happened they were and there was a, the right time he was able to get off. He says on a Wednesday, and he was able to get to the filming. So a, a fair, somewhat hastily rewritten scene, or added scene, which allowed, in the, in the Dark Tower, the second Doctor and the Brigadier to meet illusions of Jamie and Zoe. Um which I think were originally meant to be Zoe and Victoria. Who knows why Victoria, Deborah Watling, wasn't able to appear. But in any case, um, dialogue and such that allows the, the Doctor and the Brigadier to realize, oh, these people are illusions, is a slip-up, a verbal slip-up, where, where Jamie says, oh, the Brigadier's right. Um, and the Doctor realizes, oh, you're an illusion. You, you remember our adventures together. Um, but then he says that when you were... Um, Return to your own people. The time was erased your mem- uh, knowledge of y- your history with me. And so people watch it and think, well, how would he know that, the second Doctor? That happens at the end of the War Games. Oh, shoot, this Doctor's from after the War Games. Presumably. And then, of course, that leads... That's even more ex- uh, compounded by the two Doctors, which is very much... That's practically a podcast series in itself, and the contradictions and the alternate, almost alternate history of the second Doctor in the in the two Doctors, and even recent, excuse me, recent connections or muddied water that has been um, added to that concept with the um, the 2015 audio, the black hole. But in any case, you can thank Terran Six for what has become Season Six B, which is the idea that the second Doctor did not regenerate at the end of the War Games, but um, tr- had further adventures, maybe with on his own, maybe with Jamie. Certainty Terrence Sticks gives us that he was with Jamie. Um, the players, but that was a kind of a thought. The players' novel, which is a six Doctor Perry adventure set between Mark of the Ronnie and the two Doctors, um, which um, Terrence Sticks wrote, um, is notable because it chooses the players, these these creatures, that, these beings that you know like to manipulate time and such, or or have some, you know, knowledge of time travel, rudimentary, they seem to be kind of these creatures that don't have too much form unless they exist in quote-unquote reality. And they're not all powerful, they're they're actually fairly easily, they have a lot of powers, but they're fairly easily killed. Um, so they're immortals that actually can become mortal. In any case, the, um, uh, what Terrence Six and Players did that was, in the novel Players, that was notable is that he canonized Season 6B in the sense that he has the Sixth Doctor, outright say to Perry, oh, I've met these creatures before, um, 
in my second incarnation, whether he says it or not, but he actually says, Terence Dix was known in his writing for being very quick and simple, and and I'm not sure if he was known as being all the time very subtle, and so he, in, or at least if he says something, he states it, and he outright just states it in the prose. I wasn't regenerated immediately. Uh, the Time Lords kept me for other adventures. Well, and we get this in the story Players, which is essentially the very first, you could argue, Season 6B story. Um, and so we get a, a, this whole section, a few chapters of the second Doctor in Players, uh, so preceding the two Doctors, um, uh, having a post-War Games adventure. Um, and I might as well follow that up with the other story that, uh, that also involved the Players immediately afterwards for the second Doctor, which was the, world, the novel World Game, which was the first, and this came out in 2005, I think, this was the first, and so far only, explicitly Season 6B novel which is explicitly after the War Games, explicitly after everything that happens in the War Games. And it says, yes, the Second Doctor survived the events of the War Games. It's notable for its opening scene. And Terrence Dix wrote both these stories, of course, these novels. Um, he wrote World Game, and he also wrote Doctor Who and the Auton Invasion, which is a novelization of, as I said, Spearhead from Space. The f- opening scenes are a reference to the Doctor's trial. And they're the same, except... Word for word, the difference is in the Auton Invasion novelization, it says, oh, you're exiled to Earth. In the, and it said, in the World Game novelization, it says, okay, well, you've seen, there's a neat little preface saying, okay, this is a public history record. And it's what you knew, but it, for the interest in the public, interest of the public uh, understanding, um, what you saw before was amended. For the first time, this is what actually happened. And it, same word for word dialogue until it says, you are sentenced to death. In my opinion, that makes a little more sense. <laughs> and, and it's a really interesting idea of revisionist history uh, applied to what you see on television, that maybe what you see in, on screen in the War Games Part 10 is edited footage. Because what you see on screen is the Doctor being exiled to Earth and forced to regenerate. What if it wasn't the case? So Terrestix, um is kind of famous for stating continuity is how I remember it. Because he maybe got some things wrong as he wrote some of the stories when people mainly talk about getting things wrong in the sense of maybe inaccurate, or at least not ha- as shown on screen. Interesting, it makes me wonder, what if there were one day that Terrence Dix remembered that the Master was the War Chief? <laughs> but in any case, he, because of that, maybe misremembering, or just how he remembered, who knows, we get Season 6B, and then he canonized it, at least in the novels, in uh, Players, and very much so in the novel World Game. And it makes much more sense to me, uh, the idea that the... Um, um, second Doctor would not be exiled to Earth and regenerated. He would simply be killed. But maybe killed officially and then said, okay, we want you as an agent. Because I've, although I love the John Pertwee era, I think it's wonderful. I have never understood, outside of the reasons of continuing the series, I've never understood from a time or perspective why they would say, oh, well, we agree with you. There are many evils. We're going to send you to Earth and you, you'll deal with those evils there. I've never understood that why they would just exile him to Earth. Um, and it should be noted, so, World Game, I credit, you know, a lot of credit to Terrence Six because he gives you a partial explanation. Well, he wasn't. He was sentenced to death, but that's, whether a cover or not, it becomes a cover to allow him to become unofficially an agent for the, for the uh, CIA, the Celestial Intervention Agency. I think it's a brilliant idea. Um, and that, you know, ties with Robert Holmes's interpretation, which is a rather iconoclastic revisionist interpretation of the second Doctor. Apparently, Robert Holmes always felt that the, the Doctor on screen, 
and I'm not sure how much I agree with this, because I like the idea, the idea of the Doctor being on his own and resisting his people and having adventures and being in some control of his destiny. Robert Holmes's view, I think, of everything of the first six seasons of Doctor Who was that the Doctor was always an agent for the Time Lords. The first two Doctors are agents for the Time Lords, no matter what, for whatever reason, he has to blow his own cover. He has to blow his own cover in the War Games. Um, which is an interesting idea. I, I, that's the first time that I've really thought to myself that he had to blow his own cover, but you know, at least the first time I've really articulated it. I think it's a very interesting idea. I just don't fully necessarily agree with the with that view because it um, well, it certainly requires you to review your own look for the early Doctor Who years with a different lens. Um, it's a very radical reinterpretation of that series. As Craig Hinton once told me, Robert Holmes, when we talk about the Valleyard as a character, he said that Robert Holmes is an iconoclast. And that's why the Valleyard was written the way that he was, and ultimately why it makes sense that he is a dark version of the Doctor, because it is really breaking down the concept of the Doctor. Um, and so you break down the concept of the Time Woods a little bit, and maybe the Doctor as an exile, but as a self-imposed exile. Well, it's a viewpoint that I think has merit. I'm not sure if I fully agree with it, but that's why I like Terrence Dix. Terrence Dix could take all these ideas and the ideas of other people and synthesize them. Some people say, oh, dilute them. I say synthesize or, or um, simplify sometimes into a very clean, easy, um, and you know, some people could argue obvious prose style. That was very well done. And um, it's very accessible. And so you can, I've talked about this for a moment because, you know, I'd forgotten about the player arc, but I think it's very important to mention it because through that arc of stories, he canonizes and opens a whole realm of the of Season 6B. Before that, there were other stories that were written, like the Short Trips um, book ranges, which featured a gray-haired second doctor traveling alone. What's interesting is that Terrence Dix... Um, and it's it's a second essentially it's the second doctor not really traveling around but with kind of a prototype Romana character called Serena, and he's the time was sent him to investigate these problems with time, you know, possible disturbances with history, that are being caused by the players. And it's interesting that it's all out of order in a way that the the stuff that happens in players in the second doctor's era, and then you have a bit of a follow up for it in the sixth doctor. It ultimately ends back with the second doctor. Um. But also the eighth, second Doctor, sixth Doctor, eighth Doctor, then back with the second Doctor because the players are involved in the novel, the End Game, in the novel End Game. So it's changes to history happening, more changes to history. A lot of Terrence Six's stories were um, taking an historical event and then, oh my goodness, something's happened and changed history. You saw that in Exodus, you see it in Exodus, you see it in Players, um, you see it in World Game, you see it in End Game, and such. Very good. So I liked. A world game a lot. Um, people perhaps hoping for a very mysterious or complex or clandestine story. Maybe we're a bit disappointed. That's a rather straightforward um, interpretation of how season six B begins, and at least directly or supposedly, it seems to on its face to lead into the two doctors. So that's one interesting thing I should say. Also, is again muddying the waters. There are two interpretations of the two doctors now in um, or their origins in. And the Doctor Who canon, licensed stories. One is a book, the other is a novel. One is, excuse me, one is a book, the other is an audio. One is Terry Stix's world game. The other is Simon Gary's The Black Hole. Two very different interpretations of that story. I don't need to get into it, but I have a theory of how they work and can fit. But does, yes, but um, so Terry Stix gives us the players, 
Um, it's a Cold War era story, which is Endgame. Terrence Six gives us the players. Uh, at, its, at, its, at its core, what's happening in the novel Endgame is that the players are trying to um, um, influence the mind of um, various um, um, uh, historical figures in around 1951 to re- just ignite the Cold War into a hot war, one of them being uh, Harry Truman, the president of the United States at the time. Terrence Six also wrote, for the past Doctor Adventures, he wrote the novel Catastrophea, which is a third Doctor Joe novel. Then, at the time, the immediately succeeding adventure after the events of Plan the Daleks. Since then, you've had the audio, The Conquest of Far, so set them, to, you know, one after the other. I mean, you know, coming off of um, Plan the Daleks. So you have one story which features the Daleks again. That's a, so written by somebody else, but for Terrence Six, it's a story that features the Draconians. So Third Doctor Joe Draconians. And a race called the People, Golden Skin People. They look a little bit like probably the Axons, but who knows. He wrote the novel Warmonger, which is a sequel and prequel to... Um, the Brain of Morbius, which is a Fifth Doctor Perry novel, where Perry is injured, pretty much has her arm chopped, ripped off by a creature, and so to reattach her arm, the Doctor takes her, it says they travel through time and space to meet up with Solon on Karn to reattach her arm, but then it's in the past, so it's event that uh, from that story's perspective, the events of Morbius and, and his cult, and, um, and the Fifth Doctor, becoming involved in history to being the one to stop Morbius. He becomes a supreme and all that stuff. That is perhaps one of the most controversial Terrence Six stories because, again, revising history a little bit, giving us the back history to the brain of Morbius, the reason why a lot of people have trouble with that, and I actually have not read Morbius, um, excuse me, um, Warmonger. I have not read it. But I remember talking with Craig Hinton at the time a little bit, and... Um, this novel that came out in 2002, goodness, I was very young then. Um, but talking with him, um, maybe it might have been slightly after then. might have been a little, couple years later. In any case, um, Craig had certainly had trouble with that novel. He's the, he's, he loved Terrence Sticks. He, I think he met him, he said it was very lovely and nice. But he, and, he liked his, and he really liked his fiction. He didn't really like this novel because he said, The Fifth Doctor and Perry act wildly out of character. And that seems to be something where a lot of people have some trouble with, and and I, I would say including myself, which is not just how the Fifth Doctor acts as, as a kind of a. Um, the story goes that Craig told me is that uh, Terrence Six was, he would write, um, he would often portray the Doctors as a, 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 with specific character traits. The Fifth Doctor had a young, open face. That's how he would describe the Doctors. Is how he described their faces, and the Fifth Doctor. Had a had a had a, an open face, and then someone said, "Well, how are you gonna? Can you describe the doc? You know, um, revise the Fifth Doctor for this novel." Warmonger and apparently Terrence Six essentially said he was either prompt asked or he said, "Okay, I'll write him with a closed face." <laughs> so it's the Fifth Doctor with a closed face. Well, the problem is, I feel for me, so I don't want to say. I don't want to be critical, but I'm just saying how I, how Terrence Six might have revised Plan of the Spiders, or how I revise looking through a Terrence Six lens the waters of Mars. I might through a Terrence Six lens revise a Terrence Six story warmonger just in that, um, um, the idea of the Fifth Doctor becoming closed and becoming the Supremo and saying, "Yeah, we are warriors," and the fifth, Perry becoming a guerrilla fighter, and at one point even trying to seduce the Fifth Doctor. Um, 
I'm sorry. I just I think there, there are certain things where I can't uh, suspend my disbelief, and that just seems impo- just about impossible. So how do I fit into the canon? And I should note that the war, the the novel Warmonger is probably one of the stories, from my perspective, at least in conjunction with the um, Big Finish um, production audios with that era, meaning late Fifth Doctor Perry, and then Perry with Araman. It probably is one of those novels, at least not having read it, but knowing what it deals with, and how because it features all these monsters, Sontarans, Draconians, Cybermen, and all these things, vampires even. Ice warriors, gas techs, and vampires. Oh goodness, Ogrons. So a lot of um, Terran Sticks's monsters uh, reappear in that story. Um, it should be known that apparently Warmonger was originally a Sixth Doctor in Perry novel called Prelude. That might have fit a little bit better. I don't know why they shifted to the Fifth Doctor. Um, in my opinion, in my honest opinion, <laughs> um, it's just a little too far flung. But but what I was saying is that Warmonger seems to be knowing the continuity, not having read the novel, but knowing the continuity of the novel, and knowing the continuity of the big finish, Fifth Doctor Perry, and then also Aram Amadios. It's maybe one of the novels that is probably the least capable of fitting into continuity. Um given what Perry knows and, and what Perry experiences. So how do I deal with it? Well, I might as well just say that um, um, I'm rewriting... I, I don't have to give all the details, but I'm trying to rewrite my novel Times Champion. I'm going to throw in there a line, a little bit of a line of dialogue which explains it, which is simply a um, um, one of the viruses from the virus strand arc. Um, from fifth and sixth Doctor audios, you need you know where they they come across these things and their viruses left over, from, you know that have escaped from the amethyst uh, center. Um, I like to think that um, maybe one of those viruses causes them to get rewritten into history, um, like a palimpest or something, rewriting history. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, that's just how I see it. So I credit Terence Six by being a little critical of one of his works. Um, I don't say to myself, oh, I just ignore it. Oh, let's use it and rework it into the history. Um, Terrence Six also wrote Dead Reunion, which is a third Doctor Joe story with Barry Letts, which celebrated the 40th anniversary of Doctor Who. Um, and got into the Brigadier's past history with um, um, his time as a second lieutenant at the at, uh, just after World War II. A little controversial also because um, most sources in Doctor Who have the Brigadier born circa 1930, maybe 1929 to match more or less with Nicholas Courtney, his own age. And therefore, because of his age, he would not have fought in World War II, but he would have been fighting maybe in the Korean War. Um, but it should be noted that in early, um, early um, treatments of the Brigadier in certain stories, that were lines that were cut and such, it would have, they, that at the time of, of the... Um, to at least explain why Terence Dix and Barry Letts may have thought, okay, let's have, have the Brigadier working in World War II, is because from their perspective, in stories, and I can't remember which one it was, but there are at least a couple stories that had dialogue or lines of dialogue that were ultimately cut from the from the television era, the 70s, which would have indicated the Brigadier was fighting in World War II. From their perspective, they were writing stories or, or cutting lines, they were receiving scripts or cutting lines of dialogue and scripts and such. Or that maybe were unnecessary for the script, that were that the biological history of the brigadier was that he was a World War II veteran. Um, so from their perspective, in their minds, the brigadier was not born probably 1930-ish, but born some years earlier to be a World War II veteran. Uh, I personally like this. I like that contribution. In fact, I absolutely adore it. 
because I emotionally connect the Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart to my grandfather, who was born in 1924, the 8th of June, 1924, and he was a World War II veteran. Both my grandfathers were. But um, in temperament, not necessarily temperament, but it just maybe something about my, my maternal grandfather, George Watkins, connects me a little bit more to the Brigadier. Uh, I connect more to the Brigadier emotionally. And so for me, the Brigadier is born on the 8th of June, 1924. And so, um, the idea of the Brigadier being a second lieutenant, circa 19, maybe late 1945, um, and he's meant to be, and he's at 21, that's the main thing. It fits perfectly, because the Brigadier is stated to be 21 at that time. My grandfather would have been 21 in later 1945. So, yeah, on a personal level, I absolutely love it. So, thank you, Terrence Sticks. <laughs> thank you, Terrence Sticks. Um, and that's a story that deals with the players, not the players again, but the immortals, which are kind of the, the larger race of the players, these godlike beings. And uh, on the Greek side of things, the players are Sumerians or Mesopotamians. You have the Greeks, so Poseidon and other be- uh, Zeus and creatures like that. A little bit like the Star Trek um, television episode, uh, Who Mourns from Adonais, Adon- um, which has Apollo. So you don't necessarily see Apollo, but it's the same idea that aliens came and were the, the gods of Earth and such. Um, and also features the Masters, so that's very nice. It's one of the earliest set um, um, inter-television stories featuring the Masters, because I think it's the Masters supposedly still trapped on Earth, so um, it's set just after Terror of the Autons, so very early. Uh, he also, I've already talked about World Game. What was notable is that uh, Terrence Six also jumped into, made the jump into the new series, and he wrote two Tenth Doctor short stories, Quick Reads, from the BBC Quick Reads range, Made of Steel, which is notab- also notable for introducing, bef- about a month before the television episodes aired, a story with Martha Jones. So, readers, uh, have enough readers of, Doct- of Doctor Who would have learned about Martha Jones and known about some of her history, excuse me, before Smith and Jones aired. So this would have been around February of 2007. And Made of Steel, of course, features Simon, and then he also wrote The Revenge of the Judoon with the Judoon. So, kind of a, a synthesis of Series 2 and 3 elements, um, bleeding in, uh, something from Series 2 appearing in Series 3, and something from Series 3 returning in Series 3. And then he also wrote Terrence Dick's The Bernice Summerfield New Adventure, so going in the later 1990s after... Doctor Who, the Doctor Who license novel license was lost by the Virgin Novels range and t- reverted to the BBC. They kept the Bernice Summerfield uh, license, um, and Terence Dix contributed to that range. He wrote the novel Mean Streets, um, and Mean Streets, which I have not read. I've actually not read. It's an era, an element of quote unquote Doctor Who. It's Bernice, but it's a little more spinoff. Um, I'm not as familiar with them, but I just know that he wrote them. It's connected to his um, novel and his story, um, Shakedown, The Planet Megera. Um, so it's Bernice with Chris Quedge. Uh, I believe there's an Ogron as well. I believe. I could be wrong about that. Yeah, the mentally augmented Ogron, Garshak. Garshak. Um, who helped the Seventh Doctor, Chris Quedge, and Ross Forrester in Shakedown. He's a private detective. So an Ogon private detective. Very interesting stuff. Um, so again, Terrence Dix gives, gives us an, uh, uh, a private eye uh, Ogron. <laughs> it's cool. Um, I've gone through most of it. What else do you write? Um, and just for completion's sake, he also wrote, um, he novelized 
um, kind of his return to, Doc, to Doctor Who, I think maybe just before he did the Mean Street, um, not Mean Street's um, Made of Steel, 10th Doctor story, he novelized An Invasion of the Bane, the very first Sarah Jane Adventures um, uh, on um, television story. He um, wrote several brief encounters, you know, back in the 90s, farewells. Um, he did some non-fiction things, The Making of Doctor Who, written with uh, Malcolm Hulk, the Doctor Who monster book, the Doctor Who dinosaur book, the second Doctor Who monster book. He did the stage plays. Um, he wrote the scripts for the stage plays, Doctor Who and the Daleks in Seven Keys to Doomsday, and of course, um, which was a, that was a, I believe, notable story because it featured, um, yes, Trevor Martin as a proto-fourth Doctor. It ties neatly into continuity in that it's this, it, it, this story premiered, this stage play premiered on the 16th of December, 1974, 12 days before Robots uh, at Part 1 aired. And it's, it neatly ties into the story because, um, because it, it acknowledges, from what I understand, there were video screens of some type, or at least maybe projector screens, on the stage, and it showed the image of John Pertwee's face as the third Doctor, and acknowledged, oh, he has regenerated. And so, um, he has regenerated, and here is his next incarnation. So it was acknowledging the history, by extension, William Hartnell, Patrick Troughton, probably, but in the, your, people's minds, John Pertwee becomes the third Doctor, John Pertwee becomes the fourth Doctor, Trevor Martin. So Trevor Martin, who played the second Time Lord in, um, the War Games. And it was the only one of the three original Time Lords, also played by Bernard Horsfall and Clive Pollitt, who did not return on screen, but his character, might as well say, um, novelized by Terran Six and I believe in Doctor Who, Terror of the Autons. It's revealed that the Bowler Hat Time Lord that appears in Terror of the Autons is the second Time Lord, regenerated, um, from um, Trevor Martin's Time Lord from the War Games. Um, so those three Time Lords, either in the same incarnation as in the case of Goth or the Chancellor from the Three Doctors, uh, and then in this case uh, David Garth's ta Bowler Hat Time Lord, Incognito Time Lord, they return. Uh, the big question I should tease is, I wonder if the, since they're all Pertwee era characters, I wonder if they might return for the final game. Hmm. <laughs> um, and so yes, um, this uh, so Terence Six gave us Doctor and the Daleks and the Seven, key seven Keys to Doomsday. Uh, incidentally, that uh, featured um, Wendy Padbury as uh, Jenny. So she actually, Wendy Padbury has played two companions in Doctor Who. And there's a story, and the story is set on Karn. Interestingly enough, um, whether or not it's the same Karn that appears um, in um, the Brain of Morbius and later stories, uh, Night of the Doctor and um, the Magician's Apprentice. Um, is probably not the case, um, but it could be. You never know, it could be in its history. But that may, it very likely gives you an origin of how, um, Terrorists came up with the name for the planet, Karn, because he had used that already in Doctor and the Daleks, Seven Kings to Doomsday. And, of course, more known, much more known, once Doctor Who fans, Terrorists gave us The Ultimate Adventure, which is a, originally a third Doctor story with Daleks and Simon and such, with John Pertwee in 1989, when John Pertwee fell ill, Colin Baker, completed the run. So you have the third Doctor and the sixth Doctor. So you get to see Colin Baker playing the Doctor in 1989. Here's the idea, given that Colin Baker had wanted to play the Doctor longer than Tom Baker. We can guarantee he would have been playing the Doctor had all had, had things gone better for, during his television years. He would have been playing the Doctor in 1989. 
Um, and we get a slightly alternative version of his costume. Very nice. Um, Terrence Six also contributed to the Sarah Jane Smith Big Finish audio range called Comeback. I believe that was the first. If anyone wants to know what that is, it's the direct precursor to, in a way, to Sarah the Sarah Jane Adventures. Um, these audios first came out in 2002, and then there was a second series in 2006 that was recorded after uh, Elizabeth Sladen appeared and filmed um, School Reunion. They had intended to do more stories, from what I understand. But once she signed contracts to appear as Sarah Jane Smith in the Sarah Jane Adventures, Elizabeth Sladen was no longer available to Big Finish, which is too bad because the Sarah Jane Smith... I, for whatever reason, I often think of it as the Sarah Jane Investigates, but it's not Sarah Jane Investigates, it's Sarah Jane Smith. Uh, it's, a, it's a darker, more, um, not necessarily adult, but maybe at the least young adult version of the Sarah Jane Adventures, just in that uh, Sarah, it's what Sarah Jane's doing in the Sarah Jane Adventures, these audios. The first series came out in 2002, the second in 2006. Um, it gives us a darker version of Sarah Jane. This is a Sarah Jane who is not reunited with the Doctor. Not yet. In both series. So both series, even though they were the second series was recorded after School Reunion. They, they couldn't reference it, so both series are before School Reunion. This is a Sarah Jane, you know, 30 years after leaving the Doctor. Maybe 25. I think they established that she came back to Earth in the late, maybe around 1978 or so. In From the Canine and Company 1981 story. But in any case, this is a Sarah Jane who has not been reunited with the Doctor. And she is a little more, much more world-weary and um, in Terrence Six's story, at least, which is the first of these stories, come back. It says she's running scared six months after her uh, an investigative series has gone badly, and she's living under a false name. And so this is a very different version of Sarah Jane, a darker version of Sarah Jane, a much more world weary and and uh, wary, uh, world weary, world wary, people wary, certainly. And she she has friends, but they're not teenagers; they're you know young adults. And it's a, just a darker world. And it ties back to, um, uh, uh, what's her name? Miss Winters, Ms., for spoilers, the feature nicely enough. This is something that probably would have happened in the Sarah Jane Adventures had, it, had the Sarah Jane Adventures been for an older audience, maybe somewhere between Sarah Jane Adventures, Doctor Who, I should say, and Torchwood, and had it been made a few years earlier, had it been on screen at this time. We, we get to see a rematch between Sarah Jane and Miss Winters from the, uh, the uh, television story Robot. She was the leader of the think tank group in Robot. Um, and so Terrence Sticks contributed the first story for that uh, range. I, I have not heard any of these stories, but it's, it's very much on my list. I, I love contrast with, 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 for characters, and I think it's such an interesting contrast that you have almost at the same time two extremely different interpretations that are not very different, but pretty different. They can coexist, but very different overall interpretations of the character Sarah Jane. What she liked before reuniting with the Doctor, and what she liked after reuniting with the Doctor. That's how you can quote-unquote explain the discrepancy. Just, oh, Sarah Jane after a couple decades of being alone, and in a way she feels rejected by the Doctor, and then be healing after seeing the Doctor again. Um, let's see here. Uh, both the Seven Keys to Doomsday and the Ultimate Avenger were, ulti were um, ultimately were uh, adapted by to Big Finish audio plays, I should say. Um, Terrence Six also wrote a, a follow-up to the Ultimate Adventure called Beyond the Ultimate Adventure, which is a sixth companion chronicles adventure featuring this um, uh, Crystal and Jason, which are those companions, and they end up um, 
um, also meeting up with a Rasta Warrior robot. So that makes you wonder, because they have been made into audio audios, the events of the Ultimate Adventure, um, are they part of the canon now? I would say yes, but maybe not quite in how you experience it. Maybe it's fun to experience it as a, as a, as a musical or such, but maybe the events happen, but not quite as a musical. I don't know. Um, and then he wrote, um, another, another, um, Bernie Summerfield short story called A Mutual Friend, which was a, um, part of the anthology, A Life of Surprises. And that is a Big Finish production, um, anthology edited by Paul Cornell, which came out in 2002. So, um, and I believe, um, Terrence Dix, in terms of the candy jar books for the Lethbridge Stewart series, I think that there were int- hopes and intentions that he would write for that series, or at least, um, uh, that he would that he would be involved. And he was involved in terms of maybe some licensing and such, but he ultimately did not um, write. Uh, I don't think any b- full book for the for the candy jar, the Lethbridge Street novels. But he but, but he was uh, had some involvement there, I believe, as well. Um, so I see how he's been speaking on this for well over an hour, an hour eighteen minutes. So I think I'll, in terms of just sheer contributions you know, discussing the contributions, there's not as much more to say about it. But simply, it's in specifics, but to summarize, we can certainly say that Terrence Dix wrote for, um, much like, you can, in a way, matching the ones that the doctors have met with the Brigadier, I suppose, Doctors 1 through 8 and 10. Although I have read on this on this Tardis Wiki, Tardis Wiki page that Terrence Dix also had a story in the future of the 11th Doctor, although I don't know which one that is. I, I, maybe he may have... I don't know. I, I, I have to find out. They, if you wrote for a story with the, um, um, I don't know. I, I don't know if you wrote for any story that featured, um, the, um, the 11th Doctor. Someone, one, one, one online wiki says that yes, but I don't know what that is. Um, certainly he didn't write anything for the 9th Doctor or the 12th Doctor. But, um, which is a shame. It would be nice if you could have somebody that could write for all of the Doctors. But it's hard to do, given how long the series lasts and how, in a way, short a time people last. And uh, all, even though they last a long time. And Terrence Dix was blessed to have a long life, 84, almost 84 and a half. Uh, uh, years of age. And he, um, there are all these nice little references. Uh, he has, of course, the, the affectionate name Uncle Terrence, or, or Uncle Terry. Um, Vanda's favorite uncle. Um, the comic, The Lost Dimension, has a library named after him in Saint, uh, at St. Luke's University. Um, it's, um, to a certain extent, the comic version, even though it's a different story, they're apparently very similar to the big, once that, now that it's been released, to Big Finish's, um, 20th anniversary, Doctor Who 20th anniversary, Big Finish 20th anniversary story, um, uh, um, The Legacy of Time. I, um, not knowing, of course, that Terrence Dix was at the end of his life by the time that these stories are being released. In fact, by the time that episode one, um, part one of the final game was released only a month before his death, um, because he died on the 29th of August, and we released officially, I think, on August 1st, although it was posted to YouTube on the 26th of June, uh, July, excuse me. I wrote, um, 
I suppose maybe if, if there's any, if I can say anything about this is, you know, excuse me, not claiming any special status or anything, but I may have the final story in his lifetime, a Doctor Who, you know, it's a fan story, it's unofficial, but a story that's based off a script that he would have, that where he would have contributed, he would have script edited, edited the final game. I may have the last sto- Doctor Who story, it won't be the last ever, but in his lifetime, the last Doctor Who story that pays an, uh, an in-story tribute to Terrence Dix with the naming of the Cedric Center, which is where, especially in the early episodes, first two episodes of the story, where much of the action of Doc- uh, Doctor the Final Game takes place. And the Cedric Center is meant to be, of course, the... Um, the research center where um, Sarah Jane first meets the Doctor in um, the Time Warrior. And I felt that it was an appropriate venue and a location to revisit and expand and say, well, they're building space hardware in Season 11 of Doctor Who. That could be something to use at the at the beginning of Season 11 of Doctor Who. Let's use it at the end of Season 11 of Doctor Who with the final game. As explained in the Do- Doctor Who final co- the final game Confidential Part 1, I took the name Cedric's from, I learned that I took that from the in the back history of the making of the Time Warrior Robert Holmes was commissioned to write that story and apparently he wasn't terribly thrilled with the idea of setting it something about the story, I believe it is, that he wasn't terribly thrilled about the setting of the story being medieval times, you know, with the, with the um, with, um, with these, not knights so much, but, uh, you know, robber barons or things like that Something about the time where he wasn't terribly pleased with the setup of the story, and to maybe offset his dissatisfaction or displeasure with the conception and the creation of that, the crafting of that story, um, Robert Holmes wrote a, um, um, framed his correspondent, his 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 notes and his his um, he framed his his um, correspondence with Terence Dix in their discussions of how to write and rewrite and such, and craft the Time Warrior, he wrote, he wrote it not simply as just letters or memos, but like uh, military dispatches. <laughs> very creative man, Robert Holmes, very clever. And he, he wrote the dispatches, like, okay, this is a military situation, and his code name for Terrence Dix was Cedric's. I thought that was very interesting, and I learned that as I was doing research for the final game and what, what were some things that what were the, happening in the scripts and maybe details from the scripts that were left out or, or discarded and maybe thinking is there anything I could use for the final game um, and in deciding to use, reuse the location um, the early episodes locations of the Time Warrior uh, the present day lo- you know, setting which is this research center, an unnamed research center for space hardware, I decided to create use that as a major a follow, return to that location as a major follow up in the final game, I thought well uh, what can I call it? What can I call this thing? Oh, well, that's an interesting thing. Oh, Cedric's. Robert Holmes calling Terrence Dick Cedric's. Um, and incidentally, that led to the, the horror of Fang Rock in the sense that Terrence Dick's commissioned Robert Holmes to write a story in a setting that, that he maybe didn't like. Uh, and so the, as a turnaround, reversal of fortune for the horror of Fang Rock, Robert Holmes commissioned Terrence Dix to write a story in a lighthouse, something that Terrence Dix apparently didn't like. But, um, maybe though, Robert Holmes didn't like a castle, Terrence Dix didn't like the lighthouse. But, uh, Cedric's, in terms of maybe, I don't know if it was begrudging, but certainly affection. And maybe this is the final, um, 
term of affection I, I can give to Terrence Dix, who now has passed into memory as he as he has passed away. Um, Terrence Dix has one last fingerprint um, in the world of Doctor Who um, with the Cedric Center. And to close, simply I will say that you can measure, you know, in terms of words, pay, word count, page count, novel count, uh, scene count, and such, um, Terence Dix's contribution to Doctor Who. It is measurable. But in terms, in the size of the, of how much his, his words, his novels, his scenes, his characters have enlarged my imagination, and therefore, and collectively the imagination of all Doctor anyone that is watching Doctor Who and, and and how much he has at the and just for people watch by virtue of watching a Doctor Who episode especially your earlier ones and even now if you, if you see a story with the Master as such or the Sontarans even though that's contributed by Robert Holmes but even so he helped to write that edit that story or if you ever see the Ogrons in the audios or Sarah Jane Smith or Joe Grant even to a certain extent, um, Liz Shaw, um, or the fourth Doctor. You ever have a story with the fourth Doctor? Terrence Six definitely helped to craft that, created that character, that version of the Doctor. Terrence Six's contribution to Doctor Who is immeasurable. And for someone that I have never met, I'm, I feel a sense of loss at his, no, at his passing, and and this is why I have been happy to take these, this time, nearly an hour and a half, to speak about Terrence Dix and his contribution to Doctor Who, and to know that it will last forever. And I think that would be wonderful, perhaps the best contribution to Doctor Who that he could ever have, at least in ter- now, posthumously, as a sense of memorial. It would be lovely if we, get a, if we ever get a Doctor Who companion named Terrence. Um, yeah, or Terry. And if he's an uncle. <laughs> well... I will close now and and uh, send this to you, Mark, and thank you for asking me to contribute to this uh, podcast, this memorial podcast of um, Terrence Dix, and I look forward to hearing it, and I will say, rest in peace, Terrence William Dix, and thank you for, for helping to give us Doctor Who. Doctor <laughs> Who.